Hello and welcome to Watch It Baptist Church Online. My name's Mike, I'm the pastor at WBC. It's great to be with you and we're looking again this time round at the series that we're running parallel with uh, a, a system of looking at how we might grow on our front line. That system, that series, that, that overarching theme is provided for us by the LICC and it's called Growing on the Front Line. So what I'll be doing today is, as I have done in the previous three uh, parts of this series, I'll be drawing on material that LICC provides. This time we're looking at Matthew 4. But I'll also strongly encourage you to look at the videos that LICC produce themselves. They are really very helpful, very good at getting under the skin of some of what we're looking at. They're also very helpful for helping us understand ourselves as we go about trying to be disciples and particularly as we want to grow and become more like Jesus. Let's pray, then we're going to read from Matthew 4 and then we'll have a little look at what it's telling us. Let's pray. Father God, we are only at our safest in your hands. We are best placed to learn from you by spending time with you. And we're best placed to find out how to be more like Jesus by looking at what Jesus is like. So would you bless us as we seek these things and would you give us your Holy Spirit to walk with us too. Amen. Okay, I'm reading uh, from the NLT, Matthew 4, and I'll be reading verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. It's a fascinating story that has so much to tell us as we approach it with different ways of asking questions. In this instance, with that help from the LICC material, we're looking at the very human nature of Jesus. The challenges he faced and the way he was tempted and what that reminds us about ourselves and particularly about how our emotions work as we look to become more like Jesus. Essentially the best place I could think of to start with this was dipping into the film Frozen. See Disney animation and most of us will know it best as the film that gave us the song Let It Go. I won't sing it, I promise. It's instead a different song, I'm not going to sing that one either, that I want to go to. And it's a song called Fixer Upper. And in the middle of it, as 
um, as the singers, which are a bunch of trolls, are singing away about love and how it works. A uh, particularly wise troll comes up with these words. People make bad choices if they're mad or scared or stressed. But put a little love their way, you'll bring out their best. Now, it might feel a little, what the Americans might call folksy. It might seem a little bit um, oversimplified. And certainly, mad or scared or stressed are probably not the only reasons why people might make bad choices. Mad, in this case, means angry, of course. But it is worth thinking about how people end up making choices based on or flowing out of the way that they feel, the way their emotions are playing. Now, what's this got to do with Matthew 4? Well, we have to remember, first and foremost, that Jesus, in addition to being fully God, is also fully human. And that when the enemy, the devil, comes to test Jesus in the desert, he leans on those human things about Jesus. We see three particular bits of emphasis that this enemy, the devil, the accuser, because that's what Satan means, that the accuser brings to him and says to him as a way of really getting to his emotional state of mind. Let's not forget that in this instance, Jesus, who's been led by the Spirit into the wilderness, is hungry. What the Bible version, what the Matthew Gospel version doesn't say anything about is whether he was hungry and whether he was lonely. But we might, you know, does tell us about hungry, doesn't tell us about, um, uh, what was the other one I was thinking of? Definitely lonely. There was another one. Anyway, stressed maybe. We know he was hungry. We know he was lonely. We also probably know that he was tired. That's the one it was. It was tired. He would have been tired. Not simply because there aren't very many places to put your head down comfortably in the wilderness, but also because the lack of food uh, and the lack of comfort and presumably that sense of being cold at night um, and exposed to the elements throughout the day as well would have left him weary. So hungry, tired and lonely. These are all things that Jesus experiences because he is fully human. So if we're looking at how we might be like Jesus, part of what we're looking at is how he responded in his humanity and how we might respond in ours. So people make bad choices or different choices or difficult choices or unpopular choices, but quite often bad choices when they are feeling emotionally under pressure, when they are tired or hungry or lonely. There are three very deep desires that the devil knows all about as he tries to push Jesus' buttons in this passage. There are those three very different temptations, but they all factor in, don't they, to those emotional positions. In the first one, the devil says to Jesus, you're hungry and you need something to eat, and you can do something about that. The fact that you're hungry means that you don't feel secure. You can respond in that security by providing yourself with something to eat. We heard about the idea of food security and energy security and very other different kinds of security. Feeling secure, feeling that we're not in danger comes in lots of ways, but this for Jesus in that moment is very clearly one of them and it comes with an emotional 
overhang, a kind of cloak that comes with it too. So in that moment, seeking security, feeling the lack of security perhaps, Jesus is faced with the devil who says, you can make yourself secure. And Jesus' response is to say, yeah, I get that. But actually the security that counts is the stuff that God provides. The security that matters is knowing that God is there for me. So I don't need to provide my own security. I can rest in God's. The second temptation, let's go back and read it to make sure that we've remembered it correctly. Takes, the devil takes Jesus to, the, to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple. He will order his angels to protect you if you throw yourself off. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Now, if Jesus had done that, he would have found himself in a position where the presence of angels protecting him would have given him two things. One, the approval of people because they would have seen how God favoured him. And secondly, the approval of God who would have demonstrated his desire to protect. Now, the approval of God is something that we can be sure of. The approval of people is something we very often feel the need for. We talked before about how Adam and Eve in their experience in the garden knew the approval of God day by day. He would come and walk with them in the cool of the evening in the garden. He accepted them and welcomed them and approved of them. Approval. Approval is a significant temptation for us. For lots of people in our society, their engagement with social media is part of how they satisfy that need for approval. But Jesus says, the scriptures say, you must not test the Lord your God. You don't need to test him because you already know that he approves. There are lots of ways in which the church has talked over the last few generations and centuries have perhaps left people with question marks about whether they are approved of by God. There's been a predominant approach to preaching that has talked about being saved as avoidance rather than being accepted into something. We've not made God's approval always the keynote. We've made a kind of escapology the keynote. Jesus knows what's going on here and actually this is part of the reason why that passage at the end of those few verses at the end of chapter 3 of Matthew where Jesus is baptised by John in the, in the river Jordan and as he comes up out of the water there is a voice that says this is my son with him I am well pleased my son whom I love so Jesus carries that sense of approval into the wilderness and at the end of 40 days he is going to be feeling weary and lonely and yet because he is rooted in the truth of his relationship with God, he is not tempted by something that would give him the approval of people. Thirdly, this third uh, temptation um, is an offer from the devil to give him all the countries, all the nations of the world. But Jesus says, no, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. He refuses to bow down to the devil. That is to do with an element of control. And it's not 
I think for most of us, we don't feel the need to control everything, but we do want an element of control in our lives. The devil says, I will give it all to you if you want to kneel down and worship me. And actually that would have given Jesus a control over his own destiny that would have meant he could have avoided a lot of things that were going to prove difficult. He could have sidestepped a whole lot of challenging situations, encounters, suffering. He would have retained a level of control that he otherwise knew he wasn't going to have. And so that completes our little trilogy. In that, those moments of feeling tired and lonely and hungry, it would have been absolutely natural and very human for this very human Jesus to say, I need approval. I need some amount of control and I need security. Those are emotional drivers that human beings have. Whether we know Jesus or not, as Jesus himself shows us, those are things that we are faced with and which the devil will use to nudge and prod at us. But Jesus responds to all three by being rooted in God, by knowing who he is, by knowing where his identity is found. It can be tempting to look at this passage and say, the thing that keeps Jesus secure is his knowledge of scripture. Now, it is without doubt that this passage demonstrates Jesus has a brilliant knowledge of scripture and his ability to call it to mind is really precious. However, the devil is also quite capable of learning and calling to mind scripture for his own ends. And I would argue that the thing that keeps Jesus in the right place here is his root in the truth. It's not just that he has scripture committed to heart. That's a great thing. But knowing scripture by heart is not the same thing as having roots deep in God the Father. Jesus says, doesn't he, just two chapters on from this, when you pray, pray like this, say our Father. It's another little reminder, big reminder, that our identity is found in God. And that as we look to respond to the world around us in healthy ways, in, in Jesus-like ways, having that secure identity is so crucial. And then we don't need to carve out elements of control. We don't need to seek some form of material or emotional security in the same way. Those things are still going to be needed. We are human beings after all. We are emotional beings as Jesus was. But the roots in the right place and the right responses to our emotions are going to be crucial. Now, from this, I want to drive another point home. We are emotional beings and emotions are helpful to us. Scripture doesn't tell us in this passage exactly why Jesus is able to respond how he does. But I want to suggest a possibility. It is perhaps likely that Jesus heard the challenge that the devil brought to him, felt the emotion and saw it as a flag. Notice this, he might have thought. Notice what emotions going off here. Notice what underlying desires are being triggered by this challenge. Am I feeling that I need a sense of control? Am I feeling that I need approval? Am I feeling 
emotional in one way or another. And if there is some element of truth in that, Jesus was able to recognise his emotion as a signpost and a help. He was able to look within himself at how he responded emotionally and think, what do I need to watch out for here? How do I need to make sure that my choices come from the right place? And I don't just follow where my emotions lead me. I use them as a guide to help me navigate in and out of this situation. Certainly the way I was brought up, I don't think there was anything in my in my Sunday school life or in my learning as a young adult in the church, there was anything that said, be aware of your emotions and how they might help you navigate life in a Jesus-like way. I think more often I was... I had it suggested to me, sometimes directly, sometimes in roundabout ways, that emotions were unhelpful and should be avoided. That rationalising was the best thing to do. And that ignoring emotions was appropriate because emotions are unhelpful. However, if it's all right for Jesus to be fully human and have emotions, to read himself through them, surely it's not wrong for us to have them. And then, if that's right, it becomes a question of saying, if I know I have these emotions and I'm able to recognise what they prompt in me and what they tell me about myself, then I'm able to see how sometimes the choices I make are going to be not so useful, not so helpful for those around me. I can see how those emotions on my front line could show people something that isn't like Jesus when I want to be like Jesus. Now, there is nothing about this that's about saying, well, oh, I've recognised how my emotions can be a helpful flag or signpost. I will now click my fingers and suddenly I won't have any issues with them anymore. It doesn't work like that. In fact, as we'll see time and time again, the growth of that tree that the growing on the front line has as its its logo the growth of that tree doesn't start with fruit it starts with a shoot that becomes a trunk that becomes um it splits into branches and eventually you get uh, leaf growth and then over the course of years that tree gets to the point where it can produce fruit so these things take time and i was very encouraged to hear one of the Um, voices on those videos that LICC produced saying the thing that keeps her going is the knowledge that in 20 years time she'll be more like Jesus than she is now. So this isn't a magic button or a switch to flick but there is something crucial about recognising and knowing our emotions, seeing what they reveal to us about ourselves, reading ourselves in that way and then being able to respond in a way that we choose and that is like Jesus rather than responding in a way that's automatic because we haven't noticed how our emotions are shaping what we do. The phrase used by LICC is that our emotions reveal our desires and it's those desires for security uh, and for control uh, and for approval that become so crucial. So let's... Let's spend some time recognising the reality of Jesus as an emotional human being. Let's recognise his ability to see those emotions for what they are, revealing the desires that normal human beings have 
and then choosing what to do with those desires and where to find answers to them, where to have those needs met because they need meeting. We have those desires and they need to be met. But how we go about meeting them or looking for others to meet them, that then becomes really crucial. Okay, let's leave it there. We're going to look at uh, more sort of a, a more developed idea of, of that and of, of how we grow and, and what growth looks like over time. We'll look at that next time around. Uh, but for now, let's call it a day and let's pray as we finish our time together. Lord Jesus, you demonstrated in so many ways what it was like to be fully human and what it was like to be a human in the way that your Father intended. Would you help us to notice our emotions? Would you help us to recognise what they tell us about what our needs are? And would you help us turn to you to help meet those needs too? Amen. Okay, it's questions time. Question number one is this. How can we get our roots deeper into God? What might we do and how might we ask for help to put our roots deeper into God? Question two kind of overlaps with this, but I think it is a slightly different question. How can we foster our identity in Christ? So we are disciples of Jesus. So we belong to him and with him. We say and commit to walking alongside him and invite his Holy Spirit to walk with us. Our identities of people who belong to Jesus. How can we reinforce that in our own minds? And how can we help others as they try to do the same? Instead of question three, I'm going to invite you to dip back into the book if you have access to it or not. If not, to get in touch with somebody who does have the book and look at what's called the renewal prayer. Take a bit of time with that. Uh, engage in it. Maybe even if you are somebody who has a journal or maybe a, a notebook to hand, use that journal to help you uh, record how you are using this renewal prayer. Well, that's everything for me this time. I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Do keep those roots deep in God. We'll see you soon.